0: You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our Central Indiana locations or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Derek Lopez. You know, Daniel chapter 11:32 says that a people who know their God shall do great exploits. I want to do great exploits, don't you? And so it's important that we know the heart of our king. It's most important that we know his heart, and we follow after his heart. So from this, in 2 Samuel 23, we can see some things with these three mighty men. They're the mightiest of David's mighty men. And uh, we're going to pull out some different different things about prayer we can learn from their lives. And so starting in verse 8, it says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had, Josheb, uh, Bathshebeth, he was a uh, Tashkenite, chief of the captains. He was also called Aden, now It says Adino, but it's Aden, the Esnite because 800 were slain by him at one time. So he is so he's not the number one guy in charge. that's King David. and then he's not number two. that's Joab, who's the commander of King's armies. and Job's not listed in any of these lists of David's mighty men, but this is the first. And he's a captain, he's a a great commander, and his name, uh, Josheb, means he who dwells, he who stays, and he who sits. And it's important that we do that, that we dwell in the house of the Lord, that we dwell in his presence. We're always in the presence of the Lord, but we want to remain there and sit before him. Now, his name, Aden, means voluptuous. Now, you wouldn't think of something necessarily good, but really it says, it's saying he was hungry. You know what he, he was hungry for? It was to kill the enemy. And so we should be hungry to kill the enemy. We should be hungry to take territory for our God. And really, he was like a killing machine. And think about it. He had a spear. He kills 800 men at one time. It doesn't say that even the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He doesn't say he was empowered by, like Samson was, but I'm sure that he had a calling and anointing to do that. I mean, if you get in, you get in a fight with somebody, you're going to get tired. And he does it with 800 men and kills them all. And think about this. In American history, the, the most kills are over 1,200 during the Iraqi war. But that guy had a rifle. Right? Like we have weapons of warfare. This guy had a like had a spear. He's a bad dude. And he was one who sat and remained in the presence of God. This is what he says. He he sat, he would remain, didn't say he remained in the presence of God, but that's what his name means is one who remains, one who dwells, one who sits. And so he he has great victories. He's a mighty, mighty warrior. We want to be like the mighty men of David in prayer. Number nine says, after him was Eliezer, son of Dodo the Agite. He, one of the mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there to battle, the men of Israel had, the men of Israel, when the men of Israel had withdrawn. It says, he arose and struck the Philistines until his hand was weary and he clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to strip the slain. So I'm going to walk down here real quick and get this sword. So he is defeating the enemy, and he gets to the point where he can't let go of the sword, where he's clinging to it. Have you ever done something with your hands, uh, you know, anything, a craft or, or worked outside or used a shovel all day, and it's like you can't move your hand? And I'm sure that's what he was like. He was, his hand was frozen to the sword, and, and he probably gripped it really tight because he was like, I, he wasn't going to give up. And it's important that when we grip our sword, the Word of God, we don't give up, and we remain frozen to it. And really, I like to think about it a little bit more. That, that Think about relationships in your life. Who in your life grips the sword and doesn't let go of it? No matter what situation, they stick to the Word of God. They remain in the Word of God as part of who they are. It it gets to the point where they're identified by what's in their hands. Guys, could you hit the lights? It's going to go dark here for a moment. I like to think about the Word of God more like this because, you know, there's a physical weapon, the sword, but there's a spiritual sword And I think more about this, the lightsaber, right? I was in kindergarten, and uh, the teacher asked, do we know who wrote this song, the music teacher, and I said, George Lucas. And everybody else looked at me like I was crazy. They hadn't seen Star Wars, but we'd already seen it at that point. So thanks, Dad. <laughs> but really, it, the, the, the Word of God is different because it, it, is, it is sharper than a double-edged sword. Could you turn those lights off again? Scripture says that your Word is like a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So you see here, I don't see the whole path before me. What I do see is my feet. And so the Word helps us walk and illuminates what we should do and to remain in it. But also the Word of God is something that we can pray. It's a, it's a mighty weapon of our warfare because we can pray in Jesus' name against every principality and power of darkness, ruler and high authority, but we can pray Scripture the Bible says that he leads me beside still waters. Lord, I thank you that you lead me beside still waters, that you, that, that, you in, that you encamp me around with your angels, God, that you're for me and not against me, that everywhere I go, I'm blessed, that I'm blessed in my coming and going, that, Lord, that you are, that you are my God who is my strength and my fortress, you are my strong tower. Lord, I thank you, God, that you came to make a way for me and I can come before you in times of troubles when I need it most and come before you, gracious God. And then we can also pray scripture this way. The word says that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That my, the authority that I have, I have authority over you, Satan, in Jesus' name, to tread on every snake and scorpion, every power of the enemy. It's important that we pray the Word of God and we stay clung to it. Amen, everybody? You can go ahead and turn the lights back on. Thank you for that. Such a cool thing. So my brother bought me one of these. I really appreciate it. Um, So it's important that we stay clung to the Word. In the name Eliezer, it means God has helped me. And... Someone who is identified by that, they're a humble person. They realize, I need God. Someone who is humble is a person of prayer, saying, I can't do it on my own, I'm just a man. And what this man did was it said he defied the Philistines. It's saying that I am not. I do not approve of you taking this territory. And that's what we have to do in prayer it's say, I don't approve of you, Satan, coming to take this territory. This is our territory. And the Bible says in Ephesians 6, doing everything you have to stand, then stand firm. Continue to stand. And that's what we should do. We should continue to stand in prayer because we don't have physical weapons, but we have weapons of mass destruction, which is prayer, coming before our God. It's important that we pray Scripture, we know Scripture, we're around other people who are identified by Scripture. In verse 11, it says, Now after him was Shema, son of Ege the Herite, and the Philistines were gathered into a troop where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, so that's full of beans, and the people fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand amidst the plot and defended it, and struck the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great victory. So this guy's in a a bean field, and he's like, this bean field's important. I would have been like, take the bean field. I don't care about a bean field. But to him, it's this bean field is important to my king, so it's important to me. And you may be in an area of your life where you feel like you're just in a field or you feel like it's not making a difference. But it does. It's a place of growth. You may be at work being kind and and people are trying to stab you in the back or gossip about you or do anything they can to get ahead, but you being faithful is a testimony to them. You being kind is actually putting coals on their head. And so we want to we need to remember that Our weapon is the word and the way of the word, the way of the master. We want to be people of his way, not ours. So, this guy also has a great victory. And he defeats the enemy. What I want you to see is what happens when the three come together. And what, what they do. How the culture of these men who stand in the field, when they unite together, it does something great. Verse thirteen says, "Then the three of the thirty men went down and came to David at, at harvest time, to the cave of Adullam, that's David's stronghold, while the troop of the Philistines was camping near the valley of Rephaim." Now this story is in. Uh, this they don't share all of this, but this is when David is. It's 2 Samuel chapter 5. It's in the season of harvest, so it's a time it was dry in the country. And David was thirsty, and it says he was inquiring of the Lord. He prayed, and it's when David gets the the second time, he gets the answer. Hey, when you hear the marching above the the trees, then go ahead and go out to battle. So just to try to give you a picture of that. But it was a place where David was in prayer. He was writing uh, some Psalms, verse fourteen says, then David in the stronghold, while the garrison uh, full of Philistines was in Bethlehem. So Bethlehem, David's hometown. Verse fifteen says that David was, uh, David had a craving and said, Oh that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So his, the enemy is occupying his hometown. And David is starting to think about what it was like when he was there. And you know it's different. Your home water is different. We we live in the country, and we have a deep well, and it tastes good. And bottled water doesn't taste as good as the well water we have. At least to me, it has a different taste. And I'm sure David's thinking about that. Oh, if I could have that from that well. And he just off-hands makes that comment. So he voices this, he's thinking about the nostalgia, and really to get there, so it says by the gate, and we think about, when we think by the gate, we think outside of the gate, outside of the city, but it was actually by the gate inside of the city, commentaries say. So these three men, this is what they do. Verse 15 says, so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he could not drink it, but he poured it out before the Lord. So, these mighty men, what I envision is that they are, they're like, they hear what he says, they get together. Hey, we should go do that. We should go get him a drink of water from that well. And then the other one's like, yeah, let's do it. And so these these men are reputable, reputable men. They're men of battle. And it says that they broke through the enemy lines. And I, I don't think about breaking through makes me think that they actually fought somebody. I don't think they snuck through. So can you imagine being the guard gate and these three guys show up? these bad dudes, and they just they just go at it, open the gate, right? Or let us in. Like, they'll do anything they can to get there. Who's going to stop them? You kill 800 guys at one time, who's going to stop that guy? A real Chuck Norris, <laughs> right? And so, do y'all remember the movie Princess Bride? Great movie. Wonderful movie. Well, at this one point in the movie, Andre the Giant has the man in black under his arm. And then the Spaniards in front of them and they come face to face with these guards and the, the six fingered man says, uh, kill the giant and the Spaniard, but leave the man in black for questioning. Well, then here is what happens after that. Could you go ahead and show that? <laughs> Zinigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. If you've never seen it, go home and watch it. You're welcome. But how that man ran away, that's how when we stand in opposition against the enemy and we say, no, you will not have this territory, and we come with boldness, that's how the enemy responds. Revelation says that we'll actually look at Satan and say, is this worm not whom we feared? Satan is the worm. It's important that we remember he's a worm. He's a maggot. He's not all-powerful. He's not almighty. It's like that song, the second song we sing that says, you have no rival, you have no equal. Well, that's saying that Satan is not Jesus' rival. What happened was he, he Satan, Lucifer, he rebelled against God, and the Bible says, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like a lightning. He rebelled against God, and then he's like, boom, has a terrible migraine headache after hitting the ground. It was, it was not a big battle like Carmen uh, likes to make it, the famous Christian singer, years past. It was, boom, he's on the ground. It's important that we remember that, that God doesn't have a rival. He doesn't have any equal. He's greater. So these, these mighty men, they go and they do that together. Think about what we can do together if we come together in prayer. They go behind enemy lines. David doesn't take a drink. He pours it out before the Lord because he knows it was a suicide mission. And they succeeded. He pours it out exactly as a sacrifice. He pours it out to the Lord instead of taking a drink, saying, I'm not worthy. But think about what you and I can do in prayer together when we come together in prayer. The Bible says one can put a thousand at flight, but two can put ten thousand. Think about what we can do when we come together and we pray for this area. We pray for our church. We pray for other people. We ask for the will of God. And to me, I know there's special times that I have in the presence of the Lord behind closed doors. And I really believe that's a place of growth. But sometimes there's something special God does when we're together, communing with one another. So I challenge you to go to 21 Days of Prayer. All that you can. We've separated the times 6 30 12 30 and 6 30 uh throughout the different weeks so that you can make it to at least one of the weeks because we know life is busy and it's hard so we've made it available to you and we're going to have different uh different uh, handbooks to give you and 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 different uh things on prayer and we'll teach you about prayer but think about what we can do together in prayer amen everybody and the other thing is david had these mighty men something else i want you to think about He had these mighty men who heard his request and went. And I would ask, who do you have praying for you? So I challenge everyone in this room to get two or three people who are praying for you. During this week, find two or three people who are praying for you, who you can trust and you can share things with. Because they need to know how to pray too. They need to know what to go after. And then the other thing that is really... my probably my favorite topic in the world, which is they heard the king. We want to be people who hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, who's sensitive to him. So we do that first by reading the word. That's the cornerstone. That's everything we measure off of. But then we're open to the voice of the Holy Spirit. When we get when we get a nudge about something, we don't just shove it to the side. Think about that if if you and I are in a relationship, right? Friendship, friend of friendship, and And I keep asking, hey, do you want to come to lunch or do this thing or do that thing? And you end up pushing me away. Why would I want to get close to you? Think about that. The Bible says that we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, he has feelings. We can grieve the Spirit of God. And the Bible says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. So we want to do that. We want to be people who obey right away. That's what we used to say to our kids repeat after me, I will obey, I will obey, right away, right away, right? This is the same thing with the Lord. Charles Stanley says to walk, to be led by the Spirit of God is to obey the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. The initial promptings. And that's what we want, we want to obey his initial promptings. So David said, be it far from me, Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink of the blood of the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? And therefore he wouldn't drink it. He poured it out. So we want to be people of sacrifice. And what, what can we sac- We can sacrifice our time in prayer. You know, you don't have to pray for hours on end. You just time here, time there. Pray when you can. Ask the Lord to move. And so, that's what we want as well. And these three mighty men, Yaseb, Eliezer, and Shema, they went for water to our cane, and they had that attitude. They said, we'll huff and puff, but we will blow your house down. We'll do anything we can to get it. And so now, I want to give everyone some practical steps of, of how to pray. And you know, there's a wonderful prayer model called Acts. Have you all heard of it, Acts? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So adoration saying that, Lord, I I exalt your name. You be magnified, be glorified, confession. Lord, I come before you. Forgive me of all my trespasses. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Thanksgiving, thanking the Lord. And then supplication, hey, this is what I need. You never come to the presence of God by first thanking Him and praising Him. Also praying for His will. We're going to pray for His will. The other, another good prayer model, and I'm not going to go through the Lord's, we're going to do that this week, we're going to go through the Lord's prayer. We'll go through some of these, but the tabernacle prayer is a good one. Have you ever heard about the tabernacle prayer? So the tabernacle, Chris in the back. So the tabernacle, it means dwelling place. And so what they had was they had this, uh, fabric wall around uh, that was the the foundation of the foundation that was the around the the tabernacle to separate it from the commonplace to to the courtyard and the courtyard's a place where you come in the bible says come with thanksgiving before the lord with praise and then there was the brazen altar that altar is where they would actually kill animals and they would put some blood on the horns of that of that altar and so that represents the cross. But Jesus, he we don't have to kill any more animals because he did it once and for all. And so we come before him. We thank him for the cross. We exalt his name, magnify his name. There's the laver, which was this bowl that was shiny. And, and you could see the reflection. It's where the priests would wash their hands. That's where we come. And, and we look at ourselves and see and offer every part of our life to the Lord. So there's the courtyard, the brazen altar, the laver, saying, Lord, I give you all that I am. And then inside of the tent, there was the candlestick. That candlestick they had continually burning for 24 hours on end. And they would have to refill each one of the candles with, with oil so it would continue burning. And that represents the Holy Spirit, the work his work in our lives. So we pray, Lord, help me, Holy Spirit. I need more of you. Give me a fresh filling. The Bible says, Be be filled with the Spirit of God. And it's a continual filling. And then there was the table show bread that had the twelve loaves representing the twelve tribes of the nation of Israel, and so Jesus, He's the bread of life, and we want to focus on His word, focus on who He is, and but not only that, but but the word is also our weapon, so we come come back against the enemy. There, I, re, I rebuke every attack of the enemy; may it come to nothing in Jesus' name. May every trap and snare of the enemy be broken in the name of Jesus. And then there's uh, the altar of incense is where we worship the name of our God. Lord, we worship you, honor you. And I know I'm going quick through this. And then there's the Ark of the Covenant where they would make intercession. for. Other, where they, he would Actually, the priest would take that, the blood and it would sprinkle, and I said this earlier, but it would cover the sins of the people for a year. But that's where we come and we pray for other people. Prayer is not just about us getting what we want. No, I find that the Lord actually moves in my life more when I pray for others than when I pray for myself. And so we need to remember that prayer is not only about us, but also God wants to talk to us. The whole picture of the tabernacle was this, that God wants to be back in relationship with people. And so we want to be as close to him as possible. He wants to be as close to us as possible, so we want to speak to him. But there's a certain point in prayer where we listen, and we remain in his presence. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. And that's what we want. Amen, everybody? You know what Jesus endured? for you and I just so we could have a relationship. I know many of you know but some of you might not know and I just want to tell you. Jesus came to this earth as a baby. They took him. He didn't ever sin. They took him from the place where he was in prayer. They beat him. They lied about him. They insulted him and struck him. They took... They actually, the Bible says in Mark that they, I think it's Mark, they gave him over to the soldiers in the praetorium and and they had their way with him. So that was the place where they would, the soldiers would stay. And we don't know exactly what they did to Jesus, but they had their way with him. They beat him as much as they wanted. They took a cat of nine tails, which is between 12 and 18 inches long strands, nine strands with bone and glass attached and they whipped Arcane and they pulled chunks of his body out and to the point where the Bible says that he didn't look like a man, that his own mother didn't even recognize our Lord. And so then they had him carry the cross as far as he could until they had to have a foreigner help carry it. And then they took and they nailed his hands to the cross, most likely actually below the hands, right where those bones meet. And at this point, even Jesus, his he has uh, sw- he has sweat blood, and when that happens, it is uh, I forget the name right now, but the process of that it makes you super super sensitive to everything in your skin. So Jesus felt everything to an extreme degree. They put those nails in his hands and in his feet, and then he has think about this that with the cross. He has. He has splinters going into his back. He can't breathe. To breathe, he has to push up on the nails in his feet. He did that for you and I just because he wants to know you, and he loves you, and he loves us. How much more should we come in prayer before our king? All we have to do is make time for him. And what he endured with pain, we need to remember. Amen, everybody. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.